Hi, this is Laura Zam, and this is Sexual Healing Central. Today, we are talking to Ari Antoine, who is a sensual educator and facilitator. Ari is going to teach us how to use burlesque as a healing modality. Stay tuned. Welcome to Sexual Healing Central. I am thrilled to have you here. Hi, Laura. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Ari, would you mind just introducing yourself first? Yeah, I'm Ari, Ari Antoine. Um, I'm a sensual educator. And what that is, is someone who uses sexuality and sensuality to help people heal. Um, I'm also a sex coach and I am a sexologist. So I have a background in human sexuality. And that's what I've been doing for a few years now. And I'm also a um, burlesque performer. Um, what burlesque is going on right now is uh, hard to say, but it still has a really big place in my heart. And I've been doing burlesque performance for about almost a decade now, which is crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think that things are changing. This uh, the fact that we, if you're fully vaxxed, you don't have to wear a mask anymore is going to open up a lot, a lot, a lot of opportunities. Ari, will you tell us how you got into burlesque? I'm sure, I mean, I'm really fascinated by this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I started doing burlesque when I was 20. I'm 29 now, so I've <laughs> been all of my 20s, uh, which is a great gift, I think. Um, but I started doing burlesque um, I think it was maybe my junior year at university and I had fallen off of just into a depressive episode. I like wasn't feeling myself. I wasn't, um, like doing any sort of movement or anything. And, um, I had just started a yoga certification that January, I believe, to help with some internal stuff. And then that summer I got really into just trying to find movement again. I had been a dancer throughout my adolescence, but just stopped because I didn't want to. And like when you dance for a certain amount of time, but you don't want to pursue it professionally, there's not really a space for you to um, to thrive and to still learn. It's kind of like you have to take the pre-professional route with dancing like jazz, hip hop, all of those things, and just continue on that mode into performance. So there wasn't really anything that I found that was just like dancing for the hell of it. And I really, really wanted to try burlesque because I knew what it was. I had a vague idea from like some documentaries I had seen, but I didn't really know it involved like striptease. Like um, I, I think I had an idea that it was kind of like a pussycat dolls sort of like singing and dancing cabaret style thing. I, I really didn't know what it was. And then the neo burlesque revival is a little bit different, a little bit weirder. So I think I watched a few like YouTube videos from some local performers in Texas. And then I just got to Googling and I found a performer who taught local classes in burlesque. It was like burlesque 101. So I went to two or three classes, not very many, because um, it was a drive and I was a student and I didn't have like that much time, right? 
or money. (laughs) So just went to a few classes to kind of get in touch with that energy. And then the woman who was running it was actually an active performer in Dallas, Texas. And she like came up to me and was like, I can tell you have dance experience. You're really good at this. And I was like, oh yeah, thanks. Um, And then long story short, I actually ended up running into her at a local bar that (laughs) summer, like when, like right when I turned 21 and she was like, I'm, I'm um, trying to start a burlesque troupe. It's going to be like showgirl style. We're going to do like a residency at a production company in Dallas, like this beautiful theater, historic theater that has since gone. (laughs) And um, it's going to be, you know, weekly and we start weekly rehearsals. So if you'd like to be in it, like I definitely want you to audition and, you know, be on the team basically. And I was like, yeah, definitely. So it was me and three other girls. And yeah, we started out doing kind of like chorus line dance uh, stuff, not really like doing any reveals or anything. And then we slowly got into doing what's called a reveal where, you know, you take your top off and you have pasties on or you reveal like your lower half and a G-string. Of course, like the reveal laws vary by state, but that's what Texas allows you to do. But with burlesque being like striptease, we... Uh, kind of started out very mild and very kind of um, like Rockette style kick line sort of stuff that was just very cheeky to start the show. And then we got into doing burlesque reveals and like more choreographed, I don't know, burlesque style striptease. And then I slowly started creating my own acts after that, created my first burlesque act, uh, which is like very sultry and like vulnerable and very different from what I do today, which is interesting. And yeah, I just like ran with it. After that, a year later, I developed more acts and I went on a European tour right after I graduated college. And I went like full force into this thing that I like had nothing to do with two years prior. And I credit that to burlesque, you know, getting me in touch with my sexuality that I had not explored at all up until that point. And um, kind of yoga, getting me in touch with my spirituality and having that balance there as I um, started doing burlesque and I got my yoga teacher certification around the same time. I had both of those things to kind of invest in and help me invest in myself. So... I love it. Yeah. I think a lot of people have this question, which is, can you talk to us about the empowerment element in burlesque? Because I think that some people see it as, well, isn't that playing into the male gaze, for instance? Mm. And there is this reclaiming. And I'd love for you to to talk about that and educate our, our listeners around it. Yeah, I definitely would say there's um, the feminist empowerment in owning your body and there's all of that kind of overarches or compensates for anything that I think would be considered male gazy, right? One, because burlesque is in this neo revival space, you know, since the 1950s and 60s, um, where burlesque like kind of went into what we know as striptease now and stripping, 
And then we've like kind of dialed it back. And now it overlaps a lot with the drag community. It's very campy a lot of the time. There's like nerdlesque and very welcoming of alternative communities. And a lot of those communities are queer communities. So what people don't realize about burlesque is that it is extremely, extremely queer. So by default, it can't really be male gazy because it's a bunch of I'm speaking for myself and speaking in general, but this is my experience in a decade. So I think that speaks for itself. And like, it's just a very queer thing. It's very helpful for embodying your sexuality. However you decide to represent that, it's very inclusive of whatever orientation you have. I hate the word orientation, but like your sexual identity, you can express it however you want. Like I know many very like femme performers who, you know, strip as drag kings and like that's their version of burlesque. So I think the male gaze is more so playing into what we think of as like pinup retro culture, which is of course very whitewashed, very kind of what you think of when you see like a pinup girl and like that doing that sort of doing burlesque, but it has since evolved into something that is much more inclusive, much more theatrical and much more like fucking weird. So um, I think I would first start off with that and that it's just like a very queer space and queer art form. And two, I just think that like embodying your how what you think is sexy and not what the audience thinks is sexy is the key to being a successful performer and having longevity in it because you can play to the male gaze and you can, you know, wear cinched corsets and you can be that retro pinup figure, but that's boring. It's played out. Um, a lot of people do it well, but I feel like that's more of a style that is vested in recreating something that already exists or reimagining it. Whereas a lot of the neo-burlesque that you see now is again, like just very strange, very gender bendy a lot of the time and kind of comedic and like playing into those tropes on sexuality. Like even myself, I'm just very like femme presenting, right? But I am very silly and ridiculous. I will, you know, in non-COVID times do ridiculous things like spit an ice cube in somebody's face <laughs> during a performance. <laughs> like, and it's all, you know, to kind of subvert that idea of what you think you're going to get at a burlesque show. And the thing is you have to convince the audience that like, whatever the fuck you're doing is sexy, not that, Oh, tell me I'm sexy audience. Give me, give me a round of applause. Like um, it's kind of like a, push and pull energy that you have. And like, I think that you tell the audience what is sexy and what is sexual about you and how you express that. And I don't think it really relies so much on the male gaze. Yeah. I love, love, love this framework because what it really reminds me of in terms of my own training as a sexuality educator, and I'm sure your own, is this much more expansive way of looking at gender and that gender expression is only one part of how we might define ourselves or be affected by gender and that there's different aspects and our expression doesn't even have to be our our identity. And that it seems like the way you're talking about it just really, to me, it was a light bulb about, oh, okay, this is about expression and, and how people want to really work on that maybe, or what they want to bring forth in themselves, what they want to explore. 
and that there's a freedom. So I, I, I really could see it from that perspective and certainly from a queer perspective where I, I think a lot of queer people are really breaking those components down um, as opposed to a heterosis population doesn't necessarily break it apart in that way and then, you know, just kind of takes it for granted. Okay, well, this is the way it is when yeah. in fact it's much healthier to really just look at these different parts of it and, uh, and yeah, look at them separately. So yeah. I think that that's just, that's so awesome. I love that. And thank you for answering that question too, because I had that question going to burlesque performances myself, and yeah, and, uh, and, and thinking about um, you know a, a particular kind of expression. Cool. So I ask all my guests this question, and I'll, I'll pose it to you. And the question is, what does sexual healing mean to you? Ooh, that's a good question. I think sexual healing is essential. <laughs> I think that it's something that we really have to reconcile with ourselves. And I think it is something that you have to really become attuned to. And like in order to kind of have your maximum capacity for pleasure, I think, because I don't think that you can be sexually liberated unless you're healed sexually. There are people who, you know, think that they're sexually liberated. A lot of the examples that I use for people and for clients is, what was it? I think I tweeted it the other day or something. It's like, you know, just because uh, like overt sexuality doesn't mean sexual liberation and sexual liberation doesn't mean overt sexuality and whatever overt is right. That line is. Um, yeah. That's so wise. Determined by, by society. Right. But I feel like a lot of people think that they have to have some sort of like quote, ho phase or slutty phase, or they have to be like really, um, you know, out getting it in with however many people or like having like X amount of experiences before they're quote, sexually healed or sexually liberated. Mm -hmm. And I think that sexual healing comes from yourself. I know people who are ace or demisexual on the asexual spectrum. And, you know, they have a better sexual health and wellness plan than, um, other people who aren't <laughs> and, uh, who are, who might be doing things that are ultimately like harmful to their spirit. Right. Yeah. Um, and because they're true, they're true yeah. to themselves and what they want out of sexual relationships, which can certainly be an asexuality. Exactly. And I think a lot of that, unfortunately is trial and error. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have to kind of taste test things and see what you like and see where your boundaries are specifically. But I do think sexual healing is really dependent on the conversations that you have with yourself, the boundaries that you set with yourself and just standards that you set for yourself, whatever that is, and kind of making a practice of sticking to that for whatever your ultimate goal is. So I think that answers it. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. It's a great answer. And so I think we touched upon it, but I, I want to have you do um, some other tips with regard to, I know you have something else that you had prepared and I, I'd love to get that information in here too about um, about how to be your own best lover. I think you had some, some great tips. So, um, yeah. but let me ask you this before we get into the tips. In terms of burlesque specifically as healing, I think we touched upon different parts of it, but maybe we can just pull it together. What is it about burlesque that makes it inherently, let's say, a healing art form? 
I would say that it's inherently healing because you get to take your power back in Mm. expressing your sexuality and sensuality. Again, you get to kind of cultivate how you are seen rather than having that thrust upon you by society at large. Like, uh, for example, you know, a lot of people say, oh, burlesque is just attention seeking or it's like basically stripping, which is, you know, fine just because like strippers work very hard, (laughs) uh, you know, like for good reason. Right. Uh, I definitely respect stripping for sure. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, burlesque isn't stripping. No, it is. (laughs) It's, It's a form of stripping. It's a form of striptease. But I think that like people have this idea that you're objectifying yourself and you're not because you're putting yourself flaws and all, weirdness and all, strangeness and all, kind of in an elevated state and like showing off whatever your talent is, right? And there are a lot of burlesque performers who don't only strip. There's a lot of overlap with like the circus and like acrobatic community and aerialist community. And it's a beautiful art form that just so happens to have like striptease elements in it but it is so elevated and it is so athletic and it is so like soul bearing and vulnerable to be your full self on stage. Like, like, I mean, how can that not be inherently healing? Right. That's awesome. Ari, I understand that you're going to give us some tips about how to be your own best lover. And you've got these great three tips for us and I'm so excited. So what, what do you have for us? Well, one of them is something that I practice um, probably not as often as I should, but it's a really great um, thing. I probably didn't come up with it, but I do have a workshop on it. It's called Ritual Masturbation. So it is where you kind of create a safe space container for masturbation. I mean, I feel like a lot of the time what we do with having sex with ourselves is, it's just kind of like a tap, tap, is this thing on sort of a thing? Um, and kind of like a kind of passive, I guess, but this is thinking about it in a ritualistic space of like creating like a little ceremony or something that is specific and personal to you that speaks to you. So you can get some kind of spiritual access throughout the process of giving yourself self-pleasure. And I think that that translates into being your own best lover, because it's kind of like, who wouldn't want to like have a love ritual with, you know, another person? Why not do that for yourself? Right. And then my second thing would be, um, yeah, just taking time for yourself, losing self-pleasure as self-care. I definitely Mm -hmm. think that's part of having a good like sexual wellness plan, uh, which is something that I advocate for. Again, it's just a part of kind of a larger thing that I call um, holistic sensuality, where you kind of take all of the pieces of sensuality and sexuality and like look at yourself from that lens rather than just like society's idea of sexuality, which is very limited and narrow. But having a sexual wellness plan, I think requires a lot of patience, um, a lot of prioritizing self-care, and again, kind of taking time to really develop what I call your central value system. So like what you want from encounters, uh, what you can give to yourself, what you desire in other people and how you're going to attract it. 
I think that people are, again, not very active in that. And they kind of just like wait for what comes and then deal with it (laughs) rather than taking an active role in their pleasure and seeking it, especially with the people that I work with who are kind of um, more like women in femmes, women who have experienced sexual trauma or just um, are kind of in a phase where they're just now experimenting with their sexuality in like a new chapter of life. So I think that taking a step back, taking some time to really get to know yourself and develop that plan is essential. Um, And last, I think that just building resilience with yourself Mm -hmm. and kind of having some time to develop how you are as a sexual character that is not reliant on experiences with other people. And I feel like when you get to know yourself, when you take some time to develop, you know, a ritual masturbation ceremony or space, or when you, um, you know, take some time to tick something off of your sexual wellness plan, like that is really ultimately going to heal you and build up that resilience for times like today when there there's limited contact and, um, you know, essentially it's a health risk to be with people in intimate spaces in space at all. Right. Of course, that's Mm -hmm. changing now as we're kind of phasing out of things with the pandemic, hopefully. Right. Um, but I think that nobody was really ready for that. And, uh, I think that our sexual attunement is going to take a hit. (laughs) And I think that a lot of people are going to maybe try to like overcompensate in this space of post-vaccination or post-COVID, which let's be real, like there's no post-COVID. We're always going to be dealing with this. So I just feel like you have to build up resilience in yourself for um, kind of, I guess, compensating for the times in your life where you may not have a lover, where you may not uh, get the same things from sexual encounters or a lover that you did before, uh, even if someone is present even if it's someone you have a significant relationship with, that dynamic can change. So I think you really need to build that up within yourself and kind of expose yourself to different pleasure mapping, different sensations, different stimuli. I've definitely opened up like my porn (laughs) collection in the last year or so and tried looking at things or reading things or even listening to audio porn, like just to get a different sensation for myself. And that's like part of that resilience. I don't think I, if I had been in the last year and a half or so, like focusing on having sex with a bunch of other people to, you know, feel similarly or like I'm again, taste testing what I need from sexual experiences. I don't think I would have discovered those things or Mm -hmm. those methods of pleasuring myself. That's really, really great advice. I think it's awesome. And I mean, even just having the plan. Yeah. My whole book is called The Pleasure Plan for this yeah. reason, because the plan was what allowed me to find out what my healing was. But just making the plan and knowing that I could make a plan became its own kind of resilience. It's exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. because when life throws things at you, which it will sexually and otherwise, you can rebound because you know, OK, what's my plan? You know, like my husband was diagnosed with cancer two years ago 
And okay, we had a lot of things in place because we've gone on this journey. So we can say, okay, how can we pivot? Like you said, the pandemic. All right, I know I can pivot because, right? Because that's my whole framework. This is mm-hmm. really, really wise. Thank you so much for these tips, Ari, and for this this great interview. And I know that you've got a group coaching and I'm going to have information below so people can get information about that. And you've got a freebie, I think, for people as well if they want to yeah. find you. So um, I'll have all of that. And I really, really encourage people to to get to Ari's site and to just soak up everything that she has to offer. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here on Sexual Healing Central. Thank you for having me, Laura. It was a pleasure. 